Hey, Ken here. I just wanted to bring to attention before the show starts the wonderful intro to it and the wonderful outro to it designed by Brian Kirby of ShelfLifeClothing.com. So go visit his online store at ShelfLifeClothing.com. Get his category free t-shirt, get his Destroy All Mobsters t-shirt, get his Wonton Western t-shirt. These are cool. You'll be 100% satisfied, I guarantee you that. In the case you're not, I'm sure Brian will refund you twice the amount you spent. And if he says, no, go to Ken instead, I will say, no, that was not a real thing. You get the idea. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Shelflifeclothing.com. On with the show. It's This Week in Sleaze with your hosts, King Who and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Hello everybody and welcome to This Week in Sleaze. No, not Podcast on Fire. This Week in Sleaze. And this is Sleazy K, a.k.a. Ken, that you know from the Podcast on Fire network. And... Why is there a This Week in Sleaze? Well, it's natural, isn't it, that me as a Category 3 fan extends my fandom into a, not a weekly, weekly show kind of a thing, but a Ken's gotta have a Category 3 show. I bet you all were thinking that. All 10 of you were thinking that. So, but Ken is not alone. Ken doesn't have Stu, though, but Ken thought to himself, get someone on who is like-minded. Stu and I are not very like-minded when it comes to Category 3. But uh, someone someone else is that uh, some people listening might know from Facebook, but I'll just introduce him. Introduce him. So it's Lisa K and King Who is on the show. Hey, Ken. How are you? Good, good, good. So me and King Who, Jared, for people who know who is, <laughs> uh, will be sitting here every other week, maybe bi-weekly, every three, four weeks, discussing the movies where possibly a bit too much in love with but we're still in love with them so it's a good old time but also it's going to be a bit boring for some of you i guess because we are going to cover as much as we can the history of both the category free rating but exploitation through the ages in hong kong cinema so expect trip back to at least the 50s we're gonna we're gonna try and find the first movie that had any kind of nudity in it, for instance. And maybe that's, uh, maybe we have to go back to the 50s because of that. So if you listeners have any tips, by the way, as to where to start looking, you're more than welcome to hit us up on the forum at podcastonfire.com or, or look us up on Facebook. Just type in Podcast on Fire and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But the first show is your slight basic history of the Category 3 rating and me and Jared are going to talk about our last sleazy movie watched. <laughs> and, and, and the format will actually be, we fo- normally, when, when we come to episode two, the format is going to be, we discuss a key movie from sometime, maybe in the 90s. Let's say we discuss Dr. Lamb during one episode. But also we'll relax a bit and talk about whatever last movie we watched because me and Jared are... As, as I said, way too in love with this genre and therefore have way too many obscure movies that maybe five people watched before and with me and Jared, <laughs> it's seven in total. Seven. <laughs> and, and, that's, uh, and some movies deserve that uh, just for the sake of it to discuss a weird, messed up movie but also you find gems and for from my side eventually uh, I'm going to talk of a, of a gem I didn't know anything about beforehand but we, we speak of Category 3 all the time, but I always think that not everybody knows what the hell is Category 3. It's, the problem is that Category 3 became a symbol uh, for marketing purposes, really. The free, the wonderful triangle with a free in the middle, it became a marketing gimmick even when the movies were not rated Category 3. They just slapped as much as much free mayhem on their covers as they could, particularly true in the UK, if anyone saw the likes of Man Wanted tape release in the UK, the Simon Yam undercover cop movie, it has about 20 Category 3 ratings on the front cover. <laughs> but that movie, despite uh, the criminal content and the trial content, not a free at all. 
So, so actually, ask that. Did you see anything like that in in America where they slapped false rating on a tape, for instance? Not that I can think of. Uh, we had a lot of Tai Seng VHS. Yeah. And they were pretty straightforward with what was uh, category three and what wasn't. So not that I not that I can remember. Yeah, Tyson were pretty proper in that regard. They were such a big distributor, but then again, they weren't proper in one regard. I heard, and that was pricing. Oh, I, I'll talk about that later. Good lord, yeah. you got I, that right. <laughs> I remember I was in New York about twelve years ago, I think, for the first time and only time so far. And I remember I'd heard of the untold story at that point, but didn't have mm-hmm. the uh, balls to actually watch it. But I did see it in store. And the Tyson release that had newly done subtitles in yellow, in gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might be mistaken, but the price tag was 60 US dollars at that yes. time. Yes, yes, you're right. And, and, and that is insane in 98 and 2008 and 2011, as we are now. It's the six, uh, uh, laser discs were probably cheaper. Hong Kong laser discs you could probably find cheaper of that movie, <laughs> uh, depending on where you looked. But that's insane. But uh, Tai saying that that could be a chapter in itself. Uh, when, oh, uh, that could be an entire show. Please. Yeah. But uh, for you new uh, listeners, uh, I'll, I'll do a little bit of the basic uh, category three ratings history. And uh, pardon me if anything's wrong. Do contact us to uh, correct us. We're happy to uh, take that, ab- that abuse. At least I am. <laughs> so, once upon a time in Hong Kong cinema, movies had strict guidelines but no ratings. And those guidelines do ring kind of true today if you think of what it takes to get your movie approved by main, the mainland. You couldn't have characters get away with crimes, sex scenes were not permitted and uh, are not permitted as such. And uh, even certain supernatural elements are get your movie. You, you have to shoot alternate stuff, essentially, or just take stuff out to get approval by the mainland. And it was kind of true, I think, back then to a certain extent. And What I didn't know before doing research, it's actually said that the release of John Woo's classic gangster action, uh, A Better Tomorrow, in 1986, spurred this increased worry in the general public about the influence such movies could have on children. It, it is a tried movie and a violent movie after all, so uh, it's not for kids, essentially. So, hence on November 10th, 1998, under the Movie Screening Ordinance Cap 392, the Hong Kong motion picture rating system was established. And obviously, like any rating system, it was there to provide parents of minors the clear guideline of what to expose their children to and what not. And these ratings are issued by the Television and Entertainment Licensing Authority, which uh, in short is T-E-L-A. And initially, they provided, provided three levels of ratings. It was category category one, which is suitable for all ages. Category two, not suitable for children, and category three, only suitable for persons aged 18 and above only. Woohoo! Yep, that's us. that's us. We can watch. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those ratings were amended though in 1995 uh, and added two sub ratings within the category two, which are respectively category two A not suitable for children, category two B not suitable for young persons and and children. Uh, it's kind of funny though. The category two B one, it's they can feature a whole lot within that one. They yeah, they push the envelope. Rate. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the entire... Many people might not know this, but only the first Rape by an Angel film, they did five, I think, yeah. was category three. The rest yeah. were not. And it's kind of... So someone wrote once, I think it was John Charles, that uh, it probably has to do with Wong Jing's influence in the industry, that he can get censors to approve his movie at a lower rating for commercial purposes. Mm-hmm. And that might certainly be true, but it's fun to see the Category 2B being stretched and stretched and stretched. And Yeah. And even that also came out in a, I'm sorry, that also came out in a time where Category 3 wasn't the, the flavor of the day anymore. Mm-hmm. So they, they needed to get put you know, asses back in seats, so they needed to, to spice things up a little, but still keep it 2B for, I guess, receipts. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, probably too in 1995, as we'll, we'll actually come to, uh, the, the boom had, uh, uh, had certainly faded uh, quite a bit uh, compared to the first half of, uh, of the 90s. Mm-hmm. The, the other ratings that might, people might have seen that aren't cat ratings, if you will, uh, are these OAT ratings, and this stands for Obscene Articles Tribunal. And to me, who's not 100% versed in English, that just sound like court. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you go to ratings court, and, and you know, in, in essence, that's true. Rating boards work that way. You actually sure. have to, to, you have to, you know, in America, we, you can actually try and get your rating overturned, uh, and you go to uh, essentially a court proceeding to argue your case. And depending on who you are, I guess it's uh, it's either a very fruitless task, or some people might actually have the luck of overturning something from, for instance, the. NC-17 rating to an R rating. Mm-hmm. And in America, I think it's commonly known still that NC-17 is just commercial suicide. Oh, it's taboo, yes. Yes. And uh, Eddie, you, you, it's not that it it's not only high rating, but it's, it, but essentially you can't print ads anywhere or run ads anywhere of an NC-17 movie. So if you can't promote your movie... Right, then, right. I think uh, recently a movie, uh, an American movie, Blue Valentine, with uh, Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams, it got an NC-17 originally, and they fought. For, they said, "No, it's you know, re-rate this an R." They finally overturned the NC-17 ruling and rated it an R, and I think uh, it's nominated in some category for an Academy Award. And without uh, without cutting the hell out of the movie, they. they I, I believe so. I believe so. Right. Yeah. Uh, was it due to uh, no- naughty content? Yes, naughty oh. content. <laughs> of course. Yes. Uh, but go back to the OAT ratings. Uh, they're, they're actually very simple in their structure as well. There's class one, neither obscene nor indecent. Good to know. Class two, indecent. Class three, obscene. Uh, I've never seen the OAT three on a movie. Mostly OAT two on yes. various movies. <laughs> so, so I don't know what gets them gets them to slap the free on there maybe yeah, it's uh, maybe it's actual pornography I, I don't that's know. possible that's, that sounds about right yeah, yeah. and uh, it actually it's commonly known that these ratings were actually uh, they were given to movies that were not released in cinemas essentially that went straight to video mm-hmm. uh, made for or maybe also made for TV uh, movies or, or at least made for video movies like the uh, Danny Lee cop uh, movies that he made uh, under his magnum production house uh, a lot right. of them were shot on video yeah. various various unsubtitled bureau. yeah exactly yeah. they never got subtitles either so uh, like portrait of a serial rapist I think one is called mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and they, they, these were very like Danny Lee-ish movies it was a <laughs> essentially organized crime and trial bureau type of flicks uh, uh, there's a movie called organized, organized crime and trial bureau with Danny Lee and right and Anthony Wong and it's kind of those movies but pushing the exploitation envelope obviously mm-hmm. uh, have, having said that I saw one of the few that actually were subtitles is this uh, uh, Alex Fong movie called Hard Touching and it sounds very very like a like a softcore movie but it's kind of one of these very violent and cool action thrillers shot on video that actually works uh, and, and it's fun to see them pushing the envelope on mm-hmm. video quite a bit and it's not bad I mean uh, people are turned off by video images that's that something looks that clear I've, I've known people online that literally has warned me about watching something because it's shot on video yeah they, they think they, they thought they were going to save me <laughs> by not watching that what are you talking about uh, I'm not too keen on these shot on video I, I still watch them of course yeah. but uh, I give them their, their due diligence but uh, I, I would prefer something that's on film yeah, and ba- back then you didn't have uh, digital video like you have no, now that can no. be made to look a bit more like a film. But uh, mm-hmm. but I do agree it's a different experience, and especially the cheaper the Category 3 movies got uh, and were, if they shot them on video as well, that kind of, you, you, you know, you, you were not into a ride that meant a gem would come out of the movie right. afterwards. Right. Uh, usually that was not the case, but, so they needed to go even cheaper and, and videotape is, is cheap Ugh, uh, yeah. and, all, and all that so but going back to the free which will the category free which will be the main focus of this one this series it, it was quite evident that this adults only rating would 
and would mean that the bar would be raised in terms of what you could get away with on film. But the bar was not an artistic achievement bar at all times, <laughs> you know, which is very evident. And we can say that despite being fans of these movies. Sure. And, and uh, the bar that was raised was in terms of uh, softcore pornographic material on, on film and also violence, obviously. Mm-hmm. And this was evident at the end of the 80s, but also notably during the first half of the 90s, where this boom or explosion of these kind of movies happened. And I'll, I'll actually stop right now just to briefly explain, well, I, sh- I should have done this earlier, that a Category 3 is essentially akin to an R-rated or NC-17 film in America or an 18 rating in, in the mm-hmm. UK, but they never ventured into hardcore porn territory with yeah. the official rating. Mm-hmm. Although there are movies that were shot that way, they couldn't be shown that way and, had a, and have an official rating. Uh, there's a movie called Trilogy of Lust that is that case. <laughs> It's a hardcore porn movie. Yeah. Originally, the Category 3 movie is very... Uh, not shorter. It's actually... It's insanely cut, but the scenes were very much slowed down in the Category 3 movie, a Trilogy of Lust, just to extend them. They, they went slow motion with the scenes, essentially. Oh, really? To, oh. to get a feature-length movie going, because they're, they're, <laughs> it, it's insane. It's actually quite fun to watch it that, and, see, <laughs> and see the speed it actually went, went in and the content that was cut out of Trilogy of Lust. But screw that. Uh, that that's a movie we'll probably get to sometimes. Yes. It, you know, I, I like movie movies with uh, that kind of trivia attached to them that you uh, and 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 discussing different versions of movies and and despite that movie being what it is I'll 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 make a promise right now I'll actually, we'll do an episode on trilogy of lust sometime. oh lord the two movies in trilogy of lust Yes, the two in a two in a trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so it was that was part of the '90s explosion, but uh, it wasn't a key movie at all. Uh, no. The movies that were and actually are kind of global cult classics still are movies like Sex and Sen from 1991, Dr. Lamb from 1992, Naked Killer, the one of very much uh, well-known movies uh, from 1992, and The Untold Story or Bun Man, The Untold Story from 1994. Free, so they're they're very tight uh, in terms of uh, reproduction here. They're from that ninety to ninety five era. That is kind of the key era. And at one point, it would have been so much fun to be in Hong Kong at this time. But because apparently, at one point, half of the movies given theatrical showings were at one point softcore erotica. Mm-hmm. So that that would be been so fun, just trying to find a movie to watch and porn, 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 <laughs> porn, 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 porn. <laughs> So, uh, so uh, I'm sure the likes of Mike Leader has many stories about uh, trying to find a movie to watch in Hong Kong in the oh, yeah. So. yeah. But uh, actually, many of these movies I mentioned, or two of them rather, uh, Dr. Lam and Anton's story represented the story trend of mm. basically horror exploitation trend uh, this was. And they adapted real-life crimes on screen in a grisly manner because the Category 3 rating allowed a hell of a lot of these graphic sites and uh, exploitation of both known crimes, but also stuff just taken from newspaper headlines and made right. it to uh, movies that probably didn't resemble the truth a whole lot. But uh, the Dr. Lamb story, as we'll get into on another show, is quite known. It's a basically mm-hmm. known, known serial killer. Yes, yes. And uh, it's a damn, damn tough movie to watch. That pushes the envelope quite... It's, it's one of my favorites. I can watch that on a constant loop. Yeah, I exactly. just love that movie. That's uh, one of my favorite scores out of any, mm. any movie. Because I'm so... I, I love... Um, I love that kind of uh, synthesizer electronica noise. Yes. So uh, that's a damn, damn classic. And you know what? Um, that's the... F- I think that was the first movie I watched that was... I was scared beforehand to watch it because I, I read so much about it and I'm not 100% comfortable with graphic sites on film. But the problem with cert- those kind of movies is that they get such a reputation that they the reputation play up the graphic factor about 100 times. And although Dr. Lamb is damn difficult to watch and has some you know it has necrophilia for fuck's sake oh yeah yeah so but it wasn't at all hard for me to to watch it uh, uh so you know um that that's why i'm at, at the age i am now i'm co- starting for the first time exploring 
Italian cinema in that regard, all, mm-hmm. all, the, all, all the cannibal movies, because I think I have the guts now to, to stand them and, and see them for, you know, try, try and see if there's any artistic achievement in that, because I love Italian cinema of, of the 70s and 80s in that regard. Mm-hmm. But, um, um, so, oh, and by the way, uh, as is commonly known about uh, what uh, gets a movie its category three rating, if you also showcase, uh, for instance, the rituals of triads or triads behavior in a certain way, you also automatically get the category three rating. Uh, mm. it, it was not true in the likes of, uh, in the case of Young and Dangerous, for instance, but it was true in for the election movies by Johnny Toe, which... Uh, which I always enjoy because he he knew what he was getting into. He wanted that free desperately based on the, if you remember the teaser poster for Election. Yes. With yes. Uh, the 100 triad mm-hmm. characters doing various triad signs. Great marketing, yeah. So it's like, give it to me, rating sport, give it to me. <laughs> but uh, it worked out well because it was a success at the box office, mm-hmm. which, is, uh, it, which is interesting nowadays. And uh, first talking about the category three output of the 90s largely decreased by the mid-90s even though you have movies like Ebola Syndrome in 1996 it was not the 10th messed up movie that year uh, so Hong Kong cinema also in the mid-90s and late-90s went into some of its darkest period in terms of production and piracy took its toll on the industry there's this famous uh, uh, protest march uh, where many actors uh, participated where they tried to make the Hong Kong government I guess aware of the fact that piracy is killing the industry and the the end of the 90s well it's not a pretty sight when you look back at most of the movies because some are so embarrassingly cheap <laughs> but what are you going to do you have to keep an industry going and going and going and uh, right. it's gotten up on its uh, feet quite well uh, by now but um, dark, dark a dark time but uh, nowadays, uh, I mean, when I think of what movies getting a Category 3 rating nowadays, most of them seem to be the Johnny Toe movies. Yeah, yeah. Or some Herman Yao, but they're like more social commentary, you know, and rather than uh, sex or violence. Oh, yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, I mean, the election movies, as I said, Exiled is a great uh, follow-up mm-hmm. to the mission. Mad Detective all got Category 3 ratings, right. but they they are not like part of this current exploitation trend at all. They are just movies that get the Category 3 rating, but mm-hmm. that's not a commercial suicide no. for, for, uh, for a filmmaker like Johnny Toe because he's smarter than that. If mm-hmm. he thought, like, I can't do this, we're, Milky Way is going to bomb and we're going to, you know, uh, this company is going to sink if we do a Category 3 rating, you know? Shit, no, it's, uh, it's box office, it's box office gold kind of too. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I guess it doesn't matter really. <clears throat> it seems like the, the free is not the frown, looked at, you know, with frowned faces by, by people. <laughs> those kind of movies you know they're, they're just movies you know people go to see movies that have a have a momentum and a reputation and get good critical notices that happen to be free and and in the case of these election movies and mad detective they are not extremely more violent than a cat category free to be movie anyway it's no uh, no i mean mad detective has essentially one one tough scene to watch in terms of violence and it's the opening uh, did you ever see Mad Detective? yes I did yes it's, it's the ear cutting moment at the yes, opening of the film yes. not pretty and deserving of it's uh, free so but that, that uh, could have easily been 2B yeah, yeah I think just so. as easily yeah. yeah so I think so I mean may, maybe language and other content has something sure. to do with that sure. you, you know, speaking, speaking of like language I mean even Stephen Chow comedies that has gotten the category 3 rating the uh, flirting scholar movie <laughs> flirtong flirtong scholar yes that's right I, no other way to review it uh, than under the title flirtong scholar <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I'm willing to bet without knowing a, a, a lick of Cantonese that, that is actually based on the language which, uh, oh sure. Uh, all the uh, it's a it's a many naughty puns maybe, mm-hmm. but damn funny movie despite me knowing shit all about the language. <laughs> it's just a dumb 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 movie. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. But uh, so so finally we we're kind of in 2011 and uh, the period sex movie that was popular in the 90s finally has given you know a little bit of push again a return mm. and uh, I'm, I'm kind of one of the few that is a fan of the Forbidden Legends Sex and Chopsticks movies but, but I liked what they did and it seemed like uh, it, they, they had the right spirit about it in the new millennium 
but uh, perhaps the best example will be I sincerely hope so the biggest return of the period sex movie in category 3 will be this <laughs> spring because it's Sex and Sen 3D Extreme Ecstasy yeah I mean did, did you see the trailer for, uh, for that I mean that's how you use 3D for, right for whatever thing you do <laughs> smash your glass all the pieces come to camera so it's uh, and wow they were so proud of the fact that they got foreign press saying first porno movie in 3D <laughs> it's in the opening of the trailer so it's like I, I like the approach these filmmakers have and mm-hmm. producers to Sex and Sam 3D Extreme Ecstasy and uh it's going to be a whole lot of fun, I think. I'm really looking forward I to it. I hope so. Yeah, me too. Me too. But uh, th- there's you know, no chance in hell for me anyway to see it, number one, on a big screen, number one, uh, number two, mm-hmm. in 3D. I think that's a sparse chance for us. But maybe they'll do a 3D version on DVD and Blu-ray. Who knows? If I hope know. so. Yeah, I hope so. But uh, it, it, it does look fun and not cheap either. It's not you know, something they... You know, they managed to create bus for it, but are shooting it on a shoestring budget. It's mm-hmm. sufficiently kind of cool, and uh, with uh, kooky sets, I think there was a. Uh, they're in a cave in one scene, or many scenes, and there's a penis fountain in the mm. background of one scene. So, okay, we're, in <laughs> day, we're going down. The, and even, you know, I mentioned this on the last podcast, uh, I saw an interview with the producer, uh, an English language interview, and he's interviewed in front of that. Uh, uh, that set in, in that set it's like where are we going to shoot this here <laughs> don't want to shoot it over there with, with with the better lighting nope here oh I see so it, it looks like good fun I think it's a due for a March or April release uh, no, no, no Chinese New Year that would be great for Chinese New Year <laughs> yeah they apparently scrapped that I mean they only have a few like a week or a few days until the Chinese New Year yeah it's this, uh, this, this week actually uh, Wednesday Thursday well, all's well, ends well, 15 needs to, uh, oh, needs to dominate uh, yeah, every, yeah. each and every year. So uh, Jeez. Ray- Raymond Wong needs his place in cinema history, <laughs> and that's every lunar new year. <laughs> all's well, ends well for Raymond Wong. <laughs> they should do that uh, Do that title, you know, next year. I've earned so much money, I'm going to name my movie All's Well, Ends Well for me. And just a big one shot of Raymond Wong just sitting there. <laughs> Starring me. <laughs> With a Category 3 rating. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's a, that's a little history lesson that we'll, that we'll touch upon uh, in many ways and in deeper ways, I guess, as we move on and move on through the ages. But uh, it's kind of apt now to, to ask uh, why the hell we started watching these movies. Why were we introduced to these movies at all? So do you even remember when you first came across a Category 3 movie? <clears throat> um I wish I had a better story, but um, I just gotten into Hong Kong film, and uh, this was the days before the internet. Uh, I think it was like Rumble in the Bronx time. You know, Jackie Chan came to America officially, yeah. and uh, I was kind of interested. I remember, you know, old Chop Saki, you know, to use that term, movies that were on American television when I was younger, but I completely forgotten about them until uh, Jackie Chan came along, and. Um, they were Tyson VHS tapes, those $60 rip-off VHS tapes uh, at the mall, a store in the mall. And uh, they had about 10, 10 titles, like Hard Boiled, The Killer, City on Fire, and then there was Sex and Zen. Uh-huh. And out of all those titles, a 19-year-old kid is going to pick up Sex and Zen, of course. Yeah. And uh, that's what I did. And that was the, you know, the beginning of the end. Oh, you, you, had, uh, I, you had the right age as well. You didn't need, you didn't didn't need to steal it. Uh, right, or ask right. Your parents too. Like, right. Yeah, this, buy? Is, this is about 1995, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, of course, I went home, watched it. I it blew my mind because I it was just everyone was in you know costume, period dress, period sets, and there was a bunch of sex and nudity and and comedy, and it was just it was warped. You know the the, the famous uh, horse scene. You know. So I remember, you know, calling I, I, my friends I've over. I've not seen Sex and Sam, by the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see it and review it by the time the 3D version come, really? uh, comes out. Yeah, it's the, I, I've kind oh, of been wow. holding off uh, because uh, I, I, I never found a good DVD of it, but now I have a good DVD of it, and I'm going to time that for, you know, if I can't see the 3D version, at least see 
you know the first classic one right okay cool cool yeah and i I remember calling my friends over and showing them you know choice scenes from from the movie (laughs) and they just looked at me cross-eyed like what's wrong with you you know and uh uh, they, they, you know, they still still look at me cross-eyed. Fifteen years later, you know, I'm I'm the odd bird, you know, because I uh, I'm into this Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I guess uh, Sex and Zen was it for me, and then uh, I guess it was all downhill from there. It certainly started with uh, a reference work. It's said to be. I mean, the, it's not a shoddy movie in terms of the production values, and it's no. apparently shot very very well and uh, quite. Uh, it has some ideas up its sleeve and uh, has fun with it, apparently. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it definitely does. It's some, it's some really good ideas, really um, memorable scenes, as, as, as you'll see when, when you do watch it. Some uh, really uh, things that stick with you. It's, it's, it's a fun time. Fun time. And uh, the, um, I guess, Sex and Zen 2 and Sex and Zen 3, I guess just in name only. You know, they they didn't they weren't that much uh, there wasn't that much fun to those movies. There's a lot of nudity, a lot of sex, but just the the, the joy, the the fun that you see on screen in Sex and Zen was missing from the the two sequels. Yeah, it seemed like they really had an idea of we're gonna try now. We uh, you know we it's worth giving it a, an honest shot because mm-hmm. it never came across in clips and trailers of like a movie that was accidental mm-hmm. you know, they, it seemed like they went in with uh, you know a game plan and, uh, and it's unusual for these period sex movies to, to have any to, to be visually interesting I mean the costumes and hairstyles and makeup they, they're always they always do that well but if they shoot it flat then, then it is kind of flat but Sex and Sam seem to be quite the opposite uh, right, in that regard, and uh, I'm I'm sure I'll I'll, I'll dig dig the hell of it uh, when I do watch it. Uh, so, but it's the least I can do during that time to to mm-hmm. amp amp the word sex and sin during <laughs> during that possibly sh- very short hype and bust period that sex and sin 3D will enjoy <laughs> that one week run. Yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> the internet is gonna come alive for a week, maybe. <laughs> So, uh, but, but but it seems like good fun, and uh, and every post of Sex and Sin is just uh, wonderful. And maybe you know the the poster where is it Amy Yip and whoever else on the horse? The it might be horse. yeah, Rena Murakami or Isabel Chow. I'm not sure, but okay. I know I know it's, I know I know the picture you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it just looks that looks kind of classy. Oh yeah, but, but maybe yeah. it's a uh, part of uh, the kooky nature of the film. I wouldn't know yet. But uh, other movies that, you know, you since you have seen Sex and Sin, I'm going to ask you this. Is it at all on the level of, uh, let's say, weirdness and wackiness and, and warpedness as a Chinese torture chamber story? Or are they different beasts altogether? Uh, different beasts, I'd say. Um, uh, Sex and Sin approaches their, um, I guess, sex scenes in a, in a, a fun manner. Mm-hmm. It's it's still odd. There are some you know classic scenes, but it's it's not as it's not brutal mm-hmm. at all. You know whatsoever. It's 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 fun. You know it's just it's a simple word. It's fun. Yeah, I rewatched the uh, the famous scene from a Chinese torture chamber story uh, recently for the first time. Uh, the Elvis Choi uh, oh, kung fu fight <laughs> sex scene. Yeah. I was amazed that I I always knew it was great, creative. I loved it, but it's an amazing scene. Oh yeah, they they like they put those stuntmen through, you know, <laughs> through they through some hard stuff. I mean, oh, they're uh, spinning around and yeah, yeah. It's, so so it's 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 just an amazing, you know, a few ideas really well done and uh, so, you know it, it's definitely a category free scene. Obviously, mm-hmm. it ends with ejaculation, but uh, oh, of course, with, uh, with <laughs> as, as it should, as it yeah. should. <laughs> And uh, it's uh, well, a Chinese torture chamber story, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, tough to watch uh, because it lives up to its name, but uh, mm. it's kind of wonderful. It's kind of a, I always love the romance between Tommy Wong and Yvonne Jung as characters. It's kind of one of those expected emotional romances because they are kind of a couple forced together in that film. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has uh, he, he has his problems. Uh, it's actually a problem of size, if you will, <laughs> in that film. And it's kind of sweet. That's I, not I, a I don't problem. Know. 
Well, well, it turns out to be a problem uh, yeah. later on in the film. But uh, later on in the film, but uh, a Chinese torture chamber story is actually quite available now. It was released in uh, on Region One DVD in America by Disco Tech Media. Okay. Who, who did quite a good DVD of it? So they also did Ebola Syndrome and Taxi mm. Hunter on DVD. Which, so they they picked up some Category Three and Category Three esque movies because what? Taxi Hunter, yeah, could have been very much a Category Three movie, but it's merely two. Two, yeah, surprising. And, and, and it's a good film. It's actually, yeah, I, I think it was released the same year as the Untold Story. Yes, exactly. So yeah, and uh, in many ways a better movie than. The, the untold story uh, yeah, even though they're, you know, they're kind of dissimilar uh, it's the oh, sure. star and director yes, but, yes. Uh, but, uh, but it's surprising that they like turned away from the free and tried to push no, no, not even push just tried to make a, a category 2 friendly movie that still had an effect on you right uh, there was an edge to it though you know, and it was, it was two it was, it was a very good movie and, uh, and 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 sweetly comical as well because it, it is a vigilante thriller. People, if you don't know the film, and, and Anthony Wong's character wants to go on a vigilante run and a revenge and a revenge uh, spree, but it's not easy when you're not familiar with guns. <laughs> That's a great scene. Great scene. So I think it's very human that uh, you know I'm gonna look. You, you, like he could have done the Robert De Niro taxi uh, taxi driver sure. thing, sure. but. And essentially, I kind of, I guess it is that, but mm-hmm. he isn't as apt with uh, holding the gun properly and uh, <laughs> placing it properly in a cool manner. So, Taxi Hunter, well recommended. But uh, for for me, I struggle to remember what was the first Category 3 movie I encountered, but probably it was Naked Killer. Mm-hmm. At uh, one of the like first Hong Kong DVDs I bought, so I didn't even see one of these on VHS. Yeah, that was actually the first Hong Kong DVD I did buy was Naked Killer, the the world video version. Oh, quality then. <laughs> I was lucky enough to see the Mega Star DVD that was uh... also the uh, longer version of the film, uh, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it's funny though, my sensibilities and taste in movies has changed through the years and in this manner I didn't really like Naked Killer. But I was also I, I wasn't too into those movies at that time. I hadn't explored it mm-hmm. a lot. And by now I really dig Naked Killer because it it's very uniquely Hong Kong as many movies are. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool also. It's it had effort that at least in the trailer department, really. I'm going to speak of the trailer a little bit. They, they shot a really cool trailer with, I think, almost only exclusive footage to the trailer. It was all designed to be part of the trailer, uh, which I really dug. And uh, it's a really trashy, sleazy time, that movie. And uh, I really dig it. So that's an example of how I've changed uh, throughout the years. And movies I dug back then that I found like uh, touching and heartbreaking are these uh, like huge extreme melodramas to me now mm-hmm. I don't I don't like the huge bursts of melodrama where it's it's loud and uh, not subtle at all so I've changed that way as well so uh, I don't know if many many viewers are like that but it, it certainly happened to me and uh, and people rightly should argue that my taste has changed for the worse over the years obviously <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know at that time I got in, I got into Hong Kong cinema via John Woo and uh, so I was looking for any heroic bloodshed mm-hmm. movie and Naked Killer obviously uh, was a good choice because it does have action but right. I wasn't uh, prepared for the sleaze and trash and weirdness and uh, the nudity uh, as <laughs> such uh, and uh, so, so, so it's essentially that my love for cult movies and B-movies and horror as I mentioned Italian 70s and 80s gore and cannibal movies and uh, giallo movies mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just eating them up now I absolutely love it so what was offered up in Hong Kong attracted me, obviously. And uh, the, the exploitation side to Category 3 definitely did. So I, I, I probably explored, after Dr. Lamb, a whole lot of these key ones, uh, Run and Kill and Red mm. and Kill, and uh, the premium ones, really. Uh, Daughter of Darkness, Brother of Darkness, mm-hmm. and, and all those uh, that were made at that key era. And I kind of still the reference works in, in, my, in my book. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. The more, they were the more popular ones. Yeah. Exactly. They were given the most exposure. Uh, I guess for Western audiences, they were given the uh, most exposure. 
Yeah, exactly. And and also you when you see those and see a lot of these cheap movies that you and I watch nowadays, it, it's so easy to see what movies tried and what movies oh yeah or did not. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and most of these key ones doesn't even have Charlie Cho. No, no, my <laughs> my my friend, my friend Charlie. <laughs> So it's uh it's kind of fun that uh you know we, you you talk of Charlie on your blog all the time you're going to plug your blog at the end of this I promise sure. uh, you sure. uh but uh he's strangely absent from these horror movies uh, mm-hmm. when when it comes to the hostess clubbing movies uh, he's there yeah, yeah. <laughs> he seems there waiting. Yeah, in his tidy whities Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh so but 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 also to 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 reel it in and talk about the purpose of this podcast it it affords me anyway the chance to you know reinforce the love i have for these kind of movies uh genre movies and also it affords me and you us the opportunity to explore more than just the 90s sure because there was so much to there are there, there is so much to see now, especially when the Shaw Brothers vaults oh, open yeah. up. There's the classic studio doing shamelessly violent <laughs> and cheap sleazy movies. <laughs> I mean, uh, not only the horror stuff. I mean, you you have classics like Bamboo House of Dolls, mm. but also like Bruce Lee and I, with Danny Lee playing Bruce Lee. <laughs> what the hell? And it's just wonderful the ideas. Shaw Brothers had they were working f- they were working from a commercial perspective obviously and they had the means to make mm-hmm. these good looking exploitation movies so um, and, and many people might not know that Naked Killer and Intimate Confessions of a Chinese Courtesan are very much similar movies uh, one can argue Naked Killer is a remake of it uh, set in modern day oh I have, I have not seen it I have the VCD for Intimate oh. Confessions but I have not seen it I'll have to go back and look now oh it's an excellent film it's classy it's definitely a classy exploitation film it's so well shot and uh, wonderfully uh, Shaw Brothers-esque bloody oh good and, uh, uh, absolutely one of my favorite ones uh, thankfully now available uh, when the Shaw Brothers vaults open up mm-hmm so so essentially that is uh, that that is our our the history and our own history so we're moving on to the segment we are going to be doing each uh, week where we talk about whatever last sleaze we watched uh, for our own amusement because I don't think anyone is going to seek out w- the movies <laughs> we talk of I hope they do I hope they well, do if you do <laughs> you know respect but uh, don't kill don't, don't kill us if you don't like it <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'll let you go ahead, uh, Jared, and talk about uh, whatever you wa- last watched or what do you want to talk about, essentially. Yeah, uh, one of the last uh, Category 3 movies I watched, um, I had I rewatched. I watched it a few years ago. It's called Whore and Policewoman from 1993. Subtle. Oh, yeah, great title. <laughs> great title. <laughs> it's uh, directed by Wang Guak Chu. He also did another Category 3, I think, released the same year, um, called Passionate Killing in the Dream. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Horror and Policewoman and Passionate Killing in the Dream both star Michiko Nishiwaki. And uh, I think Passionate Killing in the Dream had Gordon Liu as well. In a poem. Yes, in a, yes, you're right, right. <laughs> but uh, Horror and Policewoman, um, it's a really salacious title, and the opening is just, it's great. There's some girl gagged in lingerie, and she's being whipped by a masked man. You know, it doesn't get any better than that. And he's just whipping the crap out of this poor girl. Subtle. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the title card didn't, didn't roll, you know, roll yet. So he's in a mask and he's in a towel. So he's just beating the crap out of this girl. He takes a snake. He lays it on her. She's flipping out. So uh, he, this is a great, great opening. He takes the towel off and flings it at the camera. You know, it's like cut to black and then the title card comes on the screen. So it's, it's great. Unfortunately, the rest of the film doesn't live up to that opening. There's a, a little brief nudity in the opening, and then that's it for the rest of the film. So uh, I think it was the same way with Passionate Killing in the Dream. The opening was pretty damn good, but the rest of the film just didn't live up to it. And um, really, no. Yeah, and uh, there's there's action in the film. There's you know Michi- Michiko Nishiwaki's in it, so of course there's uh, some some uh, fist and feet action, some good gunplay. Mm. Um, Michiko. Is actually a, a, just a, a co-star in the film. The, the the real star, and and the whore of the title is Julia Cheng, and uh, she's I guess most 
uh, noted for Daughter of Darkness Part 2. Oh, yeah, so she, yeah, yeah, she's... I, I really uh, dug her in that movie. Oh, yeah, me too. And she's she's a, a very attractive uh, uh, a woman. And she is just like a... She's a spark plug in this. She's just such a firecracker. She's having fun with this role. And uh, she and Machiko kind of hook up. And it's it has a very um, midnight run kind of vibe. <laughs> so, and that, that's a good movie in its own right. And, you know, yeah. copy, you know, why not copy a good movie? And... Um, and when you, when you're in that midnight run kind of vibe, the movie needs to be quick and needs to move along, yeah. and it really does. It's about an hour and a half, you know, long, and uh, there's a, a lot of action. It could have been a, you know a little more on the the salacious side with nudity and whatnot, being a Category Three film. Yeah. There there is a a rape in the in the film that it, it's uh, you know surprisingly it. it it works very well. It's it's. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, it's a rape is a rape. You know, let's call a spade a spade. It's not you know the greatest thing to see on film, but it it actually works for the story and 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 endears us to uh, Julia Chang, who is actually being raped, hmm. and um, it, uh, it it surprisingly worked very well. Uh, I had a, a little bone of contention with the story, and I'm sure there's a backstory that I don't know about, but. There's about 20 minutes left in the film, and Michiko Nishiwaki disappears. She's gone from the rest of the film, and there's a, there's a big action finale, and she's gone. They just hand, hand the reins over to some other unnamed fighting woman, you know, and uh, the reasoning they give in the film is that Michiko is injured, and uh, the, the, the great Kwan Hoi-san plays Michiko's um, uncle and also head of uh, the police, so... As a, they're about to, you know, go into this big action finale, he's like, "Why don't you go home and rest? You're injured." <laughs> and I guess she, she actually did. She went home and rested. She was injured, and the final twenty minutes, she's gone. So it, it would have been great if they cut away to her, like uh, relaxing at home, watching TV, eating popcorn. <laughs> right. right. And how the guys are doing? <laughs> but they hand over the reins, like I said, to some other unknown actress. And I mean, she does. She does a fine job. It's it's action. Uh, Charlie Cho is in this, yeah. being Charlie Cho. So uh, I won't. I won't name a... Charlie as well in the film. Pardon me. He's probably named Charlie in the film. Oh, well. I, I I don't know. Probably you're probably right. And um, I won't give away too much. He has a you know a, a key role in the film, and uh, I listen. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I would I would definitely watch it again. I tried to look it up online to see if it was available anywhere you know for the listeners if they wanted to to get it and i i really can't find it anywhere yeah yeah it's one of those many cases of hong kong cinema where it was never released on beyond vcd and laser disc tape Uh, i I bought it on vcd off of ebay you know years ago so i would just say you know kind of troll around ebay and uh you know look for it but i cannot find it anywhere i always like when a movie is a plate like that the hong kong movie is a plate like that where it has action ex- exploitation a little bit of comedy and even though it can go so wrong and can be oh. very frustrating and unbearable it kind of is bearable because i i am so ir- i find it irresistible that that was the accepted norm for movies you know when mm-hmm. the audience doesn't mind if they get that you know uh, the entire spectrum if you will no no uh, and this this and- has comedy in it as well and it's it, it works it it does work and there's there's a, a good chemistry between Michiko and Julia and it, it comes through on screen you can you can see it they they they're kind of enjoying it uh, for for listeners, we should state that Michiko does not have any nude scenes in the film. She no. took her clothes in, in and nope. this so passionate killing in the dream. So it, it, it didn't went downhill after my lucky stars. She she still looks good though. Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. That, uh, when what year was this made again? I think it was 1993. Right. So yeah, it was it was in you know the category three you know wheelhouse. It was it's it's right there in the in the thick of things. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how how well it was received, uh, but it's, well, if it was received, that's all, true. Maybe, yeah, maybe had a five for, a five day run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Five five thousand Hong Kong dollar take. And, uh, exactly, exactly. But it's it's definitely it's a it's a it's a gem. It's a it's a diamond in the rough. I would uh, definitely recommend it and try and find it. Yeah, it sounds uh, damn fun and above average. Uh, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and, and one of those discoveries maybe is because you don't know a lot of the movie. Uh, beforehand because there's no bus around it. Uh, right. It's always fun, especially with these movies, the cheaper 
you go and the deeper you go it's fun fun to find those little diamonds in the rough and uh, it's a case of mine as well i i knew nothing of hot desire But and that title is certainly uh, I I kind of know what I'm in for. But I I, I am Sleazy K. I will review this, and it's uh, it's it, it is reviewed, and I'm so pleased with how it turned out, both movie and my review, because it is kind of a uh, a little uh, minor gem. And but but speaking of openings, this doesn't have any interesting or uh, you know. Uh, uh, inspiring opening. It's uh, various Hong Kong city shots and mm. traf- of traffic at night and day. You know, it's an opening of an IFD movie, essentially, <laughs> a Godfrey Ho movie. So here is Hong Kong. Oh, whoopee. <laughs> but it acts as this total piece of deception, uh, as it turns out uh, uh, by the end. You know, you, ha- you, ha- you have to follow through on it, obviously. But then again, it does flash its actual solid hand pretty soon after this crap opening. Uh, and, and the movie, I guess, can be argued is uh, it's not, not a remake of Basic Instinct of Single White Female, but has, you know, it has aspects of that, mm-hmm. uh, of that kind of thriller. Uh, but, but ultimately, it isn't working fully from those templates, and it actually delivers a well-rounded portrayal of a totally lost and broken mind. And, and that's being very serious. It's actually, it's kind of heartbreaking by the end. Uh, the, the plot is uh, essentially about this character called Anne, who is the, played by actress that I didn't know of at all until this movie. And uh, she's called Chan Poi K. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've probably seen 20 movies with her, but I've never noticed her until she did good. <laughs> and, and this is one such case. And, but but the character is not very uh, sympathetic. She's a clearly a cold-hearted, manipulative bitch, stepping over you know each and every one to get ahead as an author. She goes she goes to school uh, in the movie, and uh, she's also very jealous of her best friend Jean, who's played by Isabel Chow, uh, another actress I don't remember from much stuff. But uh, she's in Sex and Zen. Oh really? So okay. you'll you'll get to know her well in Sex and Zen. Goody. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she she plays the best friend Jean and uh, who, who who does get ahead a little bit as an author and this triggers a lot of jealousy and out of all the men the character of Anne seducer she goes after the boyfriend of uh, Jean who's played by Lee Ho Kwan who only did his fairly long haired permed guy mm-hmm. and I only mm-hmm. remember him because I saw him in a movie I thought was good uh, this movie called One Third Lover. Uh, another solid little movie and this reminded me of One Third Lover kind of as a serious experiment in kind of drama and thriller uh, trying to be a little bit above average so the movie shows actually the character of Anne committing suicide at the start of the film before the movie kicks into the flashback so you have a challenge there for, for a director to make sense of that moment and make the audience on board with with, with that moment once you know the story uh, wraps up and uh, it's actually unexpectedly affecting by the end as I'll explain a little bit so along the way we've been you know both surprised about the quality on display and the emotional roller coaster ride of Anne's character that for the majority of the film it's set at the school and uh, it is the basic thriller instinct working working here, but but it's it, as you see her seducing various teachers and being uh, being you know very she manipulates situations as she pleases. You know, we, we, do we, do we want to spend an entire movie with this character? I'm glad she killed herself. <laughs> you know, you you're in that you're in that mood, and uh, also along the way, we, you know, there are sex scenes and quite uh, quite steamy ones actually. Uh, complimented by a very bad stock score <laughs> but uh, and and some of them are not very warranted sex scenes this actress Nam Yan has one scene in the film and that's a sex scene she has nothing to do with the film the character of Anne merely sees that she goes into a building essentially and then we get 10 minutes of sex so, so it's not that, all bad it's not all bad but it, it, it also deserves a little bit of a critical like you need to point the finger at the things that are kind of bad, but also enjoyable, because you know how you know how the movie, the movie uh, is being constructed in a way. Mm-hmm. Despite again, this actually being solid in the end, and uh, 
This director, Wu Ga Kan, know nothing of this person, adds also a polish to the cinematography, working with the cinematographer, and dedication to the fact that these sex scenes, unwarranted or not, are supposed to be kind of sexy excursions. Mm-hmm. And that's not very common at all in, in these movies, that uh, they, they just shoot them f- flat as hell in a ho- motel or hotel room with nothing on the walls. <laughs> yes. Just white, boring, goody. It's not, it's not sexy. It can be depressing no. sometimes. But uh, when she gets out of school, both characters actually separate and, and they go the separate ways for reasons I won't reveal. Uh, it does actually have a little bit to do with Ken Tong's supporting role as a uh, robber. Uh, so, uh, and he has a kind of crucial role, uh, as it turns out, because he, he breaks into Anne's apartment and uh, attempts to rape her, but uh, it actually goes down some different routes and he becomes kind of a key character for the remainder of the film. Uh, and you, re- you realize also because Anne is a very, very emotional character, she's worn her intentions on her sleeve, of course, the evil intentions, but it's deeply emotional, as it turns out, this uh, very insecure character and eventually very mentally ill character. <laughs> and we, we actually think we know the beats at one point, but the director, Wuga Khan, takes us for this unexpected ride. And uh, it has a focused mood throughout also. It's always important to point out it doesn't have comedy and shootouts and and uh, flying kung fu sex or anything like that. It's just, <laughs> it's just about a very troubled character by the end. And uh, I, I kind of was... Uh, I, I wasn't bored with it, especially since she, Chan Poi Kei, she's very dedicated to the role. Uh, it, uh, and it kind of becomes heartbreaking by, <laughs> by the end when, when, it all, when it's all uh, wrapped up and... Uh, it's uh, it, it's kind of uplifting to see that it, that movie has serious intentions, to, that tries to be a little bit of a character piece, and actually does fairly well for these kind of movies. It it still looks like a cheap movie, obviously of mm-hmm. its kind, but it has it, it has uh, some chops. And uh, uh, if you haven't seen it, or Jared, or anyone else, I, it's another recommendation. Yeah, I, I've seen it, but I remember very little bit about it. I know there was. Stuart Ong in there, yeah. and I remember it uh, being uh, a serious type uh, sex drama. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, I I don't remember much about it. Yeah, and and it's also fun to be on board with that challenge of feeling hate at the beginning of the film because the sh- opening is so shit. Mm-hmm. Feeling hate towards the character, <laughs> but eventually feeling kind of sympathy towards the character who's so lost and and uh, you know it all. all it has gory consequences that I won't reveal, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's surprising, and you don't find out that you know five out of ten movies of the, of this kind you don't find this surprise in them. Uh, uh, you find a comfort in them, like this is just like the other movie I watched last week, which is not a bad thing. You know, it, it's comforting to watch. To, to know what you're watching sometimes it's sure. relaxing but uh, Hot Desire despite the title is uh, uh, very much a surprise and uh, it, it, it was actually distributed by Ocean Shores and I, I, it's one of my favorite Hong Kong uh, uh, labels if you will because they had so much obscure yeah. stuff whatever rating that uh, no one's has ever talked of again you know but they, they, they got some good movies on their mm-hmm. label uh, Kung Fu movies and otherwise but uh, it's uh, hard to um, to get a hold of uh, much of this because it was never extensively on DVD. It was only extensively on Laserdisc and VCD and tape. Right. And probably uh, very much expensive as well, especially when you got to Laserdiscs. That, that yes. was a pleasant uh, time uh, at the time shopping for Laserdiscs. 700 Hong Kong dollars for a movie. Yep, that's yeah. that's. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm new to laserdisc and I'm I'm finding out uh, it's it's an expensive uh, hobby collecting uh, laserdiscs. I thought you know VCDs and VHS and DVDs were expensive, but oh lord! And still, you're buying them used. And, yeah, and I'm like buying them used. Tenth yeah, of the price, and it's still expensive. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, and I don't know how they they calculate their prices or their worth, but it's uh, very expensive. Mm. And uh, but but there is a collector's market still out there. Thankfully, sure. you can get some stuff because I've all, as I've always said on on this show, you have to keep in mind that certain Hong Kong movies are the ultimate editions on laserdisc. Mm-hmm. It's never been as 
uh, maybe it's not been subtitled on subsequent releases and or not been released at all since then so laserdisc still is the ultimate edition which is not a bad thing because they can look pretty good the, yeah, form, yeah. the format was stable compared to vcd which is not a stable format in terms no. of uh, image and as soon as anything moves if watching, <laughs> if watching it on a, like a 40 inch tv then whoa not see anything but it's good fun um do, do you have any like uh, any any at all like impressions of this um, this actress Chan Poi K? Do you know anything about her? Um, I've seen her in a few movies. Um, nothing very memorable. She's not particularly good looking. You know, uh, I guess that's a kind of a mean thing to say. Uh, but um, I, I I I don't remember her in, in much really. I, I really don't. I saw her the week prior and still didn't remember. I saw her, <laughs> yeah. I saw her in Maids of Passion, but I had ah, no yes. idea who she was when I started watching <laughs> Hot Desire. It's like, ah, I saw her in the I saw yeah, her some, filmography. Like, some oh. of these actors, kind of, they, they kind of blend into each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. But it's when they do rather good, then, 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 then there's a lasting impression made, made on me. And it's, it's the same with that actress in Ho and Police, uh, Policewoman, or Policeman, uh, whatever it was. Policewoman, yes. Policewoman. It's probably a Ho and Policeman as well. On, on, <laughs> I'm on, sure on, there on, is. On the, the other. Category but, 4 movie, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that actress made that lasting impression on me in Daughter of Darkness 2. Oh, yeah. Because it's uh, that, few, you know, it's a revenge-themed film, kind of, and uh, she has fury in her. She actually, I, I haven't watched Daughter of Darkness 2 in a while, but I think that might be her only role where she was actually nude in the, in the film. Really? Yeah, I think so. Actually, I think the woman behind, I do oh. remember her, I think maybe briefly, you know, uh, uh, being, being nude. But I think uh, uh, Daughter of Darkness 2 was, I guess, I don't know, that, that's, that's where it was at for her. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she, she made that movie memorable. Definitely a movie that could have easily been forgotten. Oh, but, sure. Uh, it's that fury uh, I really remember, and also a very painful-looking abortion scene in the shower. Oh, oh, you know, god, yeah. Which Just, is not pleasant at all. No, not at all. That for uh, for 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 fun. No, not at all. Uh, but uh, we'll get into that and many more movies. This is uh, our first welcome to. Uh, the podcast on fire network and uh, this weekend's lease is going to fit very well into that maybe we'll get some of the regulars uh, regular folks on here maybe Stu would like to talk of the likes of rape by an angel because he has seen that so i know mm-hmm. he doesn't take offense to it and can't stand the graphic nature of it because <laughs> because oh, uh, i'm not talking down on Stu. some people just can't take the graphic nature of movies and that's fine, sure obviously. sure and some people just don't like these kind of movies mm-hmm. uh, so uh that's all uh, that's all fine as well so uh and Stu o- overall has a better taste in movies than i do i <laughs> obviously it does uh, but uh, that's pretty much it for episode one so uh, I won't do any plugging because uh, my very special co-host uh, has a much better plug so uh, would you like to plug your little uh, other space on the net? sure sure it's a blog um, it's in the mood for guilo.blogspot.com and guilo is spelled G-W-A-I L-O instead of E-I-L-O like you see sometimes um, it's just uh, I try to update it you know at least once a week um, I have an extensive poster collection uh, VCD collection DVD VHS and now Laserdisc collection and I just uh, I post those uh, photos of uh, my memorabilia my Hong Kong film memorabilia um, sometimes I, I take a trip into Chinatown take a few pictures of uh, the places I go shopping for movies in Chinatown it's you know whatever whatever comes to me. It's all Hong Kong cinema based. So uh, there's some reviews on there. Uh, so if if you're into Hong Kong cinema, category three cinema, uh, stop by, please. And we'll leave that link in the show post, uh, obviously, for so the people visiting this site can easily access it. And uh, uh, I want to single out a feature I kind of like on your blog, which is the uh, uh, Hong Kong filming locations in, oh, yes. uh, that you've done. So I want to speak a little bit about that. Yeah, I've, I just, I've been fortunate enough to, to travel a little bit. So uh, recently I've been to uh, San Francisco, and uh, they shot a few Hong Kong movies in San Francisco, uh, Alan and Eric, Between Hello and Goodbye, mm-hmm. uh, 
Sausalito, The Wesley's Mysterious Files, uh, a nice Category 3 film, Gates of Hell. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I went to a, a couple of the f- uh, filming locations, took some photos, and uh, a few of the posts, I kind of uh, take a, a snapshot of the uh, place in the film. And, you know, th- those films are from the 90s, so it's you know, a good 15, 20 years later on. And I uh, kind of compare them to the location as it is now i've also done some new york stuff uh i still have a ton of stuff that i have not put up and i, I really should get to that maybe tonight and uh, i really enjoyed like when you uh, compared the shots to uh, conrad's almost a love story which was was that san francisco new york set? that that was new york chinatown right yeah yeah thank you thank you yeah, yeah it was a wonderful movie also so it's like yes. a very um you know, when Hong Kong movies do well in that regard, when they they travel to different locations, be it Korea in old-timey martial arts movies, mm-hmm. or even New York, it can really work. And Gates of Hell is one such example. It's set entirely in San Francisco, essentially. I don't think they did any, you know, only minor exterior shots in San Francisco and went home. They, right. they did it primarily on the spot, uh, yeah. on, on location, and it works much better because it's a foreign dangerous world in, in, in Gates of Hell. Yeah, great movie. Love it. So, uh, but that's pretty much it. This is This Week in Sleaze episode one done. So come back for more as we'll, we'll explore Hong Kong cinema history through the ages. Bearing the free or not, it's still exploitation through the ages, if you will. So it's going to be fun. And we have, we have no game plan for episode two yet. We'll just see what movie we'll focus on more. But uh, uh, you'll hear more from us uh, in the upcoming weeks. So uh, I've been your host, Lisa K. And I am King Who. See you guys later. Thank you.